your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark. We're going to continue our discussion and walk through this book. Get all my stuff organized up here. It's a very familiar story that we're going to look at this morning, but one with a lot of meaning. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be here all afternoon, all morning talking about it, but I could, I think. But the Lord's Supper connects us to Jesus Christ, and, and we take it because we have a Savior who is God. And I think that escapes us sometimes. I think we forget. We may, we may know it mentally, but do we really know it in our hearts where we live it out? Well, the book of Mark, like I said last week, is a concise capture of Jesus' ministry and, and something that Mark captured relatively quickly and to demonstrate some things. And one of the two, major, the two major themes that are running throughout Mark that you can look at is that the deity of Christ is cloaked. It's hidden at times. And it's being revealed by Mark's words. But to most of the people in the stories, they don't see it. And the other theme that, that Mark weaves in the book is the dullness of the disciples' faith. The fact that their faith just seems to always fall short of understanding, of trust, and that's what we're going to see this morning. Mark regularly points to the helpless and hopeless in front of Christ. And, and Jesus solves their problems most of the time supernaturally. And Mark wants us to see that because he wants us to see, like in today's story, a magnificent revelation of Jesus' full divinity. And that's what we're going to see. The storm becomes a, a teaching point. For that very thing this morning, a simple trip across the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee, really, reveals the true identity of who Jesus Christ is. The, the disciples discover, they don't realize it, but they discover that God is with them. So Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. And I know that's a, an established fact and we believe it, but he's God in human flesh, complete with all of Yahweh's power. And we have to remember that as we walk our walk of faith. So, question this morning we're going to try to answer is, what does your faith in Jesus look like in the storms of life? Once we know who Jesus is, how mature is our faith? Well, that's what we're going to ask ourselves as we, as we explore this story. In the constant storm of life, and it's constant, who we trust makes all the difference. Let's read this passage together. Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea 
Obey him. Let's pray. Father, I love this story. And I find myself in the boat with the disciples so many times wondering, do you care? But you do care. And you proved it ultimately at Calvary. May our faith grow stronger through the exploration of this story. May we learn where our faith resides and how mature it is through the exploration of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to look at the stages of this storm kind of thing and, and look at the stages of their faith in those particular points of time. So also I want us to also see the grace of Jesus as we go through this because there's a lot of grace here. So let's look at the faith before the storm. Okay, the faith before the storm is kind of casual. It's kind of like, okay, Jesus wants to go across the lake. We'll ferry the teacher across the lake again. You know, they're just kind of casual about it. They're, they're very self-assured about their place with Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day of teaching, and I think this, this on that day goes all the way back to when he finished the parable of the soils. I think the, the part from there that we had all the way up through the kingdom parables, there's another opportunity or another time that Mark recorded. So Jesus desired to cross the Sea of Galilee. Why would he want to go across the Sea of Galilee? Well, there's other places over there to minister. God wants him to go over there and preach. And I think he had a lesson to teach the disciples. He's always using stuff, and we just sometimes get ahead of him or we don't see it. So the disciples said, okay, we'll take the teacher across the thing. And they pushed away from the shore and started across this lake with the wind and sails and oars and this, this, this lake or this sea of Galilee is only 13 miles by 7 miles wide and long. It's not a very big place. But it's also 690 feet below sea level. So that makes for some interesting terrain. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So they take Jesus, as it, as it says there, just as he is. They're confident that their, their faith is secure in Jesus Christ. They're assured of their position. They're taking life easy. They're like, we're going to just take a nice, easy cruise across the lake here. They're very self-confident about what part they're playing in Jesus's ministry. And even the other boats that went along with him, and I believe that was the 12 were all in the same boat. I believe there were some in another boat. Also, I believe there were some intimate followers that were coming with Christ. So they're all doing the same thing. They're all very comfortable with their place with Jesus Christ. Oh, we're all going to the other side. Road trip, well, sea trip, whatever. But they're going to the other side. They think, oh, we're good. We're in the inner circle. That's their faith before the storm. Now, what's their faith like when they see the storm start to build? Because storms don't just pop up. But this one came on pretty quick. But they see it coming. There's trouble. There's fear rising in them. There's desperation invading their, their peace. And a lot of confusion results as well. So a great windstorm suddenly comes up. I mean, it, and it's you, one, one translation calls it a gale force wind. And we could probably identify this with almost hurricane force winds. Um, it wasn't just a light breeze or it wasn't just our typical Illinois wind. It was worse. It was like a, a, a massive mini hurricane in the sense that that's possible. And it created massive waves that were flowing over the boat, over the rails, and beginning to flood the boat. They didn't have self-bailing boats. They had to get a bucket and do it. The, they didn't have what we have today, boats that bail themselves. And so they're beginning to flood. This is very common on the Sea of Galilee. Um, there's lots of canyons all the way around that lake. And the wind comes, when the, when the air temperatures change, the wind comes down through those canyons and it increases their speed to the point where they bring, bring up a whole bunch of waves real quickly. 
So this is very common. And these experienced fishermen, there's probably about seven of the 12 disciples that were fishermen, but the others had been around the Sea of Galilee most of their life. They had seen windstorms like this. Why are they so afraid? Well, this one must have been pretty bad. But it's a very common thing. And in the midst of this, as they see the storm building, where's Jesus? In the back, sleeping on a cushion. Most people say it was probably like a pillow-sized cushion. It wasn't like a big you know, futon or something back there. The, their boats were pointed on both ends. And so it really was kind of, it was the back end of the boat, but it wasn't like we're thinking of a nice yacht or something comfortable. But Jesus was tired. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. Think about that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sleeping. What does that tell you? It tells you he's human. He's human. He's fully human. He would, his body grew tired. He needed some rest. But his humanity never diminishes his deity. We don't ever need to think that. He's fully God and fully man all the time. So his humanity never d- diminishes his deity. So he's sleeping in the back. The storm is building. The waves are crashing over the rails. The disciples are panicking now. And they go back there, and they're, they're afraid. And even, like I said, they're experienced with these storms. But how, but how anxious they must have become because maybe, they maybe even tried to turn back. Let's go back to shore. Let's go back to shore. Well, the winds just probably made their sails useless, and their oars are definitely. So what to do? So now let's look at their faith when they get ready to survive the storm. Now they, the storm's on them, okay? And, and they're surviving. So what is their faith like there? Well, it, they're faithless. They're accusing as well. They're very accusing, and they, and they have some very unspiritual prayers. They're faithless, they're accusing, and they're unspiritual prayers, but they have an answered prayer. So Jesus' sleeping didn't give them any comfort at all. You know, they didn't stop for a second and go, well, he's sleeping, why am I worried? No, they, they saw him sleeping. They didn't get any comfort of that, so they woke him up. They woke up the tired Savior, and they stirred him with a cry of desperation. Now, prayers can be like this, okay? I'm, I'm not saying don't pray like this, because sometimes we have these kind of prayers. I, I've had faithless prayers. I've had accusatory prayers of God, accusing him of not caring. Um, I've had prayers that aren't guided by Scripture, that aren't guided by the Holy Spirit. Those are going to happen. But they really revealed their ignorance of who Jesus is when they said, teacher. They still think of him as just a man. They still got in their mind that he's just a man. And the, and the accounts in Matthew and Luke, they use, one uses master, the other one uses a word in Greek that can mean Lord, but more than likely they just said sir, kind of like giving a, a, a tone of respect. They still hadn't caught who is Jesus? Watching all the miracles he's done, casting out demons, healing lepers, raising paralytics. They saw all of that, and they didn't believe. They just saw him as a teacher with some prophet-type miracles. And they asked, do you care? <laughs> do you care that we're about to die? Well, Jesus has already cared for them many times over. But he'll show his ultimate care at a point on Calvary. But nevertheless, Jesus gets up, rubs the sleep out of his eyes, and answers their very, very selfish prayer. He gets up and with two words, commands the sea and the wind to hush and be still. And they do. Great calm. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen oceans and lakes after the wind's been blowing and the wind stops eventually. It takes a little while for that water to stop. No, 
This was instantaneous. The sea heard and said, okay, we're calm. We're not moving again. The wind ceased. So a great calm was now present where a great storm was. Jesus spoke and creation obeyed. Creation obeyed when Jesus commanded them. Now, he turns to his faithless followers and he says, where indeed is your faith? (laughs) Don't you have any faith yet? Their fear or their cowardice more than anything else, uh, it showed that their faith was immature. They were lacking the mature faith they would trust. So they weren't completely faithless, but they weren't trusting Jesus like they should. And that's why he asked that question, do you still have no faith? You know, daily they're walking along with Jesus and traveling with him and passively following and agreeing with him, especially when he comes up against those, those nasty Pharisees, you know. He, he, they're all like, yeah, Jesus, you get them. Yeah, you tell them. And now when their faith is tested, they're screaming and crying and in desperate need and they don't see him as the Savior that he is. See, Jesus knew the storm would not end in death. That's why he was sleeping in the back of the boat. But he still answered their doubting prayer. And they survived the storm. Now let's look at their faith after the storm a little bit. There was some terror after the storm. You thought the storm was scary? They had some doubt. They had some ignorance revealed. They were witless as far as who they were talking to, who, had, who, had, who was in the boat with them. But they were also still searching, still searching to understand who Jesus is. I mean, the storm scared them. But now... The fact that the sea and the wind obeyed Jesus' two words, they're really terrified. They're fearful. There's like, who can calm the storm? Who is this guy? Their fear was probably a lot like, and it's real fear, like it's phobia as we know them. They're really, they were really afraid. And if you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the, the, the Lord and the train fills the temple, he's He's fearful. He's scared to death that he's about to be struck down and annihilated because he's seen God. I think they had that kind of fear because they were beginning to get a little glimpse of who Jesus really was. They did not know who Jesus really is, but they, and they couldn't fathom this miracle. I mean, they were really kind of, what just happened? And their question really reveals their faith is still missing some muscle. Uh, After hearing the kingdom parables, after hearing everything and seeing everything they did, their faith is still kind of missing the point. Yet their question that they ask is common still today to all humanity. Who is Jesus? And how can I believe in someone I can't see? Well, you have knowledge of him. You get that knowledge from God's holy word, the Bible, as well as the Holy Spirit. And that's how we know who he is because here's the answer they answered their own question with their little observation even the wind and the waves obey him ding 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 you know bells should be going off in their heads they should be understanding who else who else can manage who else can control who else can start and stop a storm only the creator only the creator That's the only one, the creator, and it is Jesus Christ, God the Son. So in that that short observation, the disciples capture the fact that God is with them 
in that boat, and he, he is with them in the man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I hope you see it. I hope you see what they, they should have saw right there. That God with us, Emmanuel, is right there with them. Because there's nobody else that can control creation. The effects of that on their faith will be seen, obviously, after the resurrection and the ascension. You'll, we'll see more of that. But they, but they will remember, and they'll write about it, and their faith will be made stronger by it. Jesus calmed the storm. And Jesus, right there in that moment, reveals the divine nature of his, of his life. Emmanuel, because creation obeys the Creator. So again, we've gone through this, and we've seen what they've seen. We've seen the story. We, we need to ask ourselves, what happens when we gain knowledge about Jesus Christ? What happens to that? What happens when we understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh? Do we believe in Jesus? Do we trust him as our Savior? Or do we still just believe he was a man or a good teacher? That was the purpose of the storm here, was to demonstrate that he's not just a teacher. He's not just a master. He is God Almighty in human form. You know, storms reveal many things sometimes, uh, especially real storms. I've heard of so many shipwrecks and plane wrecks and plane crashes in the sea in the oceans being uncovered because a storm came through. One of the hurricanes can uncover something. And even in a first century fishing boat was uncovered by a storm on the Sea of Galilee. It had washed enough that it revealed this thing sticking out of the mud, and the mud had actually preserved this fishing boat, which is probably a first century fishing boat. And uh, the government of Israel got together, and, and I think they talked to the, the people from the Netherlands how to save that boat. And I've seen it. It's pretty incredible. It's mostly the skeleton, but it was, it was so uh, petrified in the mud that it was able to be recovered. And see, that's what the disciples, they saw the complete definition of Emmanuel during this storm. It uncovered something. Now, they may not recognize it till later, and they don't. But I want you to remember Paul's testimony in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Paul's testimony, and he, may, he probably got told this story about him calming the sea. And he was like, didn't you guys get it? Jesus is right there with you. He's God. So he writes to the Colossians. He says, Talking about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that explains why the sea and the wind obeyed Jesus Christ. Because he's God. In the storm, the disciples came face to face with Emmanuel. And they saw God in human form, master creation with just two words. So what do we now do with this knowledge? This is a challenge for all of us, not just the disciples at that point in time. What do we do with this knowledge? Emmanuel shows up in all phases of the, of the storm, the before, the seeing of the storm, the surviving, and the after. So what is the status of our faith in Emmanuel during the storms? Well, let's talk about it in the same manner, with the faith before the storm. Is your faith kind of casual? Is it a Sunday-only kind of faith that you kind of Show, us, show, show anybody on, except on Sunday? It's kind of like something you pull out of your, your wallet or out of your closet? 
Is it casual like that? Because they were real casual about, hey, let's go to the other side. Jesus is wanting to go to the other side. Do you expect Jesus to make your life smooth and easy and happy since you claim his name, since you say you're a Christian? Let me tell you what, it's not going to happen. Your life is not going to be easy as a believer in Jesus Christ. Testing of your faith, that's going to happen. And that's what, before the storm, they didn't realize was going to happen either. What about their faith when they, your faith when you see the storm coming? I mean, they, they had panic. They had desperation. They had anxiety. Anybody here ever had that stuff? You don't have to raise your hands. That's rhetorical. But I want us to think a minute for a second. Okay, those of us who are born-again believers, we claim that. We say we are born again in Jesus Christ. That has to mean something. We say that Jesus lives in us. Jesus lives in us, that the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. We say that. So when we face these storms and we see them coming and we panic or we get desperate or fearful, where is that faith that comes from being born again? Where is the faith that's born from these truths? We fear and we panic over a lot of things. None of them are silly, but they're just, we get panicky. Illnesses, finances, politics, uh, disasters. Proverbs 24.10, Solomon wrote, If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? We're going to face tough times. And faith in God will give you the strength to face it and survive. Sometimes we go to God with a, with a faithless, predetermined prayer because we have an answer we want. So we, we pray that prayer and then we kind of get upset with God because he doesn't give us what we want. God, help me or else. Some of us have prayed, I'm sure. I know I have. We speak to God sometimes as if he can't even help us. But remember what I said. If you claim to be born again, Jesus Christ lives in your heart. The Spirit of God lives in your heart. Now let's look at their faith, our faith surviving the storm. Remember this. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews 13. And whoever the Father gives me, I will never cast out. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus has you. He's got you. No matter what happens. Faith that saves should be faith that braves the storms and shares the gospel in words and deeds no matter what's going on in our life. I mean, just think for a second. What if Jesus hadn't calmed the storm? The disciples asked, hey, you care? We're going to die? And Jesus got up and calms. What if he just said, oh, no, we'll just ride this out? What if he'd have done that? It wouldn't have changed anything. He's still Emmanuel. He's still God with us. But he would have had a purpose for them riding out the storm. Probably just to show that there was no reason to panic. If they couldn't wake him up. What if they, I mean, there's a lot of ways that could have gone. But by grace, he answered their prayer and the calm of the storm. So our faith will call us. It does call us. And it beckons us to run to the storm, not run away from the storm. To face these storms to face our fears, to face the ridicule, to make sure our faith is known to the world. He calls us to that. We're not, we're not called to cower. We're not called to fear and fret and wring our hands. Trusting Jesus' hand and his heart in the storm is what our life is meant to do and what your faith can do. What about after the storm? Where is your faith? Like Jesus asked them, you still don't have any faith? Where is your faith? Do you, 
do you run and cower when the trials come? Do you fret and feel like, well, you know, God doesn't care? Listen, when we go through any storm or trial, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. When we've gone through it, and most of the time you go through it, when you've gone through that, you need to ask yourself this question. Is my faith stronger? Is it stronger? Do I feel like I can trust God with anything or even more than I was? The second question you need to probably ask yourself is, did I learn to trust God more? Did I learn to? Because sometimes we don't have the faith to get through some of the storms without some desperation. And it's meant to make our faith stronger. Is my faith stronger? Did I learn to trust God more? If the answer to those two questions is no, then we must reflect and repent of our weak faith. Because we have weak faith. And seek to trust God more from that episode. I mean, those are just a way... It's not, it's not meant to be anything you know, super dramatic, but it's meant to be an evaluation. When we go through the trials, we need to seek to trust him more, and we can do that by asking those questions. Evaluate our own heart. Because I've got a confession to make this morning. My faith has been wrecked pretty hard over the last couple of years from the losses we've experienced in this church. And I know some of you have experienced them a lot more personally than I have, but I expected more time with some of these people that I had become friends and pastor to a lot more time and my faith was challenged by this and I tell you for the last two years it's been very challenging but God's been faithful Emmanuel has shown up but there's been times I've asked myself do I really believe what I preach do I really believe what I say because it's hard and I confess, there's weeks and sometimes Sunday mornings I get up here and I'm preaching a message I, I know is truth. But in my heart, I'm like the disciples in the storm. Do you not care, God? This is hurting. This is painful. But grace and mercy have sustained me. And prayers, <laughs> many, many prayers have helped me continue to work through this. And I know that's what some of you are doing. It's hard. But sometimes prayer is the only reaction we can have because there's nothing else you can do but pray. But that's the best place to start. It's, it's hard. I don't want to make light of storms. I don't want to make light of what the disciples were going through facing that storm. But we also need to remember that Emmanuel, God with us, is our truth. It's our basis. It's what we base our entire salvation on. We do things like the Lord's Supper, baptism, all that, because we believe that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, came and lived. Our faith can be uncovered and sometimes found missing during the storms. And like I said, that we can run to Jesus when our faith is floundering. And, and he wants us to, because that's a demonstration of faith too. When your faith is floundering, run to Jesus. Our faith should be willing to engage the tough tasks, the tough trials. One of those is witnessing the gospel to people. I mean, we should be willing to share it, to share the love of Jesus with them, to tell them we love them because we were first loved by Jesus Christ. Never, never forget, and I'm, I'm talking to myself, never forget, Emmanuel is always available to calm your soul in the storm of life. So we see here, one stormy evening, Jesus reveals that he is God among them. 
and challenges the disciples' faith to grow and get stronger. So, Emmanuel, God with us and God in us. I hope you understand. It's not just with us as in he's, an extra, he's in us as believers in Jesus Christ. It must be our soul's solace when we're looking for help. And it's got to be our solace in the face of sin and death, which is the biggest thing, the biggest tragedy, the biggest disaster that's out there. And if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning for the forgiveness of your sins, you can. That's the great news, the good news, the best news. God offers eternal life in Emmanuel. Faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was asking them. Where's your faith? Where's your faith to trust me? And faith says with conviction in your heart, I trust you, Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust nothing else. It is the only way I can be right with a holy God. It says it without reservation. It believes it and lives it without reservation. It helps you trust him to get to heaven's shore. You repent. You turn away from. You put aside all the things you were trusting in. All the ideas you have about heaven, you put aside. And trust only Jesus. Because it always has to be about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of Jesus calming the sea. Forgive us, Father, for where we have not trusted you, your son, not trusted that Emmanuel, God with us, lives in our hearts. Father, I pray that if we have never trusted Jesus, that we will seek that out. We'll come and ask how to find that true salvation. Because that is what saves us from sin and death, which is the ultimate enemy that we have to face. But Jesus has conquered that. And one day, when we reach that golden shore, when we reach the other side and see him face to face, Father, I thank you that we will realize it was all worth it because of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.